This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Um, for those that were not here last week, I want to encourage you right off the bat, please listen to last week's message because this week will not make as much sense if you didn't listen to last week. It'll still make sense, um, but it will be um, just something that I think will lay the foundation for today. I'm actually going to talk today about how to overcome the spirit of Leviathan, not just to understand it, but to actually how to overcome it. How many want that? Right. And so for those that, that uh, maybe uh, don't know, um, about nine years ago, uh, before Sandra and I actually moved here, uh, I came down and I prayer walked through the city and ended up at Fort Henry. And I had one of the most enlightening spiritual moments of my life, both good and bad. And so the good part of it was that out of this uh, experience, God really spoke to me about the city and about some of the spiritual heritage and the issues in the city. And so um, the negative is that I felt an incredible amount of pushback from the enemy. Um, but I'm telling you, I'm excited about what God's doing because what God is doing in this season, he's, he is literally unmasking the schemes and the plans of the enemy so that believers can take ground for Christ and, uh, and not uh, whimper away and hide within our four walls, live in our gated communities and homeschool all our children so we never leave our house. Okay? If you homeschool your children, bless you, because it's a great idea. Anyhow, um, it's a great idea. But I'll tell you right now, the church is famous for hiding. We just want to hide. Let's not get out there. Let's not let anyone see that we actually stand up for Christ. And we live in a day and age right now where every single thing that we say is twisted and is taken to be that we're a bigot, we're a hater, we're this, we're that. The reality is, is we're one of the, some of the most loving people on the planet, if I do say so myself. But... But the enemy uh, doesn't want us to do anything. He wants us to hide. The word unmask literally means to reveal the true identity or nature of someone or something. And that's literally what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks, uh, including today. Um, I shared this with a couple of uh, different groups last Sunday afternoon. One at the Fort Henry Group and one at the uh, Water Tower on Creekford Road. Um, But when Charlie Sweet was here last September, how many remember Charlie Sweet for those that have been around a little length of time? What a blessing that man was. Well, what most people don't understand or don't know is that on the Monday morning we had breakfast together. I hadn't told Charlie anything about the things that I had personally seen over the city. I just, I don't say that to anybody um, because I, you know, if anything ever comes out, I want it to be from God, not from me influencing anything. And so he turns, we were at Egg Squee, one of the greatest breakfasts in all of Kingston. Um, we got there, we sat down, he takes his placemat, flips it over, and he starts drawing. And I'm like, what are you doing? And I, I'm looking down as he's drawing, and he's literally drawing this triangle over the city. And he says, I see a city presence, a church presence, and a compassion presence. And I see this triangle perfectly knitted together over the city. You can almost like just put it over top of the entire city. I had never told him that God had showed me a triangle in, in the summer of 2007. And so I was just like, God, you are just too crazy. So I actually have it. In my Bible, on my egg squee, I've kept it. It's the egg squee uh, place, Matt, and it's there. I, I look at it all the time because it's just reminding me that, God, you've given us the city. Amen? So for those that were not here last week, I just want to wrap up last week in a couple of basic thoughts. We talked about the spirit, that, if I can call it like this, the general that oversees this area. Um, and this general, his name is Leviathan. And it literally is the spirit of separation. A Leviathan spirit is always the primary enemy of any apostolic church, any apostolic city, or any apostolic ministry, or any apostolic person. An apostle is a strategizer. They are, they are, they are planners. They're kingdom thinkers. They, are, they think bigger than themselves. They think way beyond themselves because they see a move of God that stretches way beyond where they are currently at. An apostolic thinker is a big thinker, and they have long time ago grown up and prayed like a child, if you know what I'm saying. They pray big, okay? The goal of any apostolic church is to build and to connect. The goal of a Leviathan spirit is to separate and disconnect. Most important things are the relationships that God ordains. First and foremost, I would say, and that would be your marriage, families, connection points, relationships, churches, all those different things. He desperately wants to separate people from their God-ordained attachments. 
Remember when we were kids, some of us, when we had to connect the dot books, right? How many know that those connected dots, when put together and formed, form a perfect picture that you can now color in? Well, you have connect the dot people in your life that God has ordained in your life. And God wants them to be in your life so that they can form the picture for your life. But the enemy, the Leviathan spirit, wants to remove every connect the dot person in your life so that you don't have success, so that you cannot color uh, within the lines of your life. And, and the enemy just loves to mess us up. But today I want to reveal a little bit more detail about him. And then I'm going to go into detail about how we overcome it. Are we we good? Okay, so we're tracking, and I'm going to be an hour and a half, so we're going to be good. All right, just kidding, kidding. No, 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 at least an hour and 20 minutes. All right, here we go. Psalm 74, verses 12 to 14. We read this verse last week, but I want to read it again because there's something I want you guys to catch. It says this, For God is my king from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your strength. You broke the heads of of the sea serpents in the water, you broke the heads, plural, of Leviathan in pieces and gave him as food to the people inhabiting the wilderness. He broke the heads of Leviathan. It's interesting that when you actually do a study of Leviathan, most Bible scholars keep landing on the same thing, that it was a multi-headed monster. Can you imagine a Nile crocodile with multiple heads? That'd be even scarier than just one. One of the things that often happens in, in understanding some of these dynamics is when you kind of go through the, the, the process of reading and, and, and doing some kind of historical research and you kind of start putting together all these biblical scholar thoughts um, on this particular idea, they kept landing at this one thought, which was seven heads. And we're actually going to talk about that at the end. We're going to bring all of this together to come back to that. But what's interesting about uh, Psalm 74 is in most Bibles, you'll actually see a cross-reference Uh, either off to the side or at the bottom of your notes, and it'll cross-reference this section in Ezekiel 29. Most Bibles have it. And so um, it'll say Psalm 74, 12 to 14, right beside it, it'll say Ezekiel 29, 3 to 5. So we're going to read that together this morning. It says, Speak and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Pharaoh, king of Egypt, O great monster who lies in the midst of the rivers. Who is the one that lies in the midst of the rivers? Leviathan. What is God saying? He's saying, hello, Pharaoh is a type and shadow, a representation of the Leviathan spirit. So we can learn a lot about Leviathan by looking at Pharaoh. It goes on and says, um, who has said my river is my own? I have made it for myself. What does that sound like? Pride. What's the biggest issue of Leviathan? Pride. What divides? Pride, right? Goes on and says, But I will put hooks in your jaws and cause the fish of your rivers to stick to your scales. Interesting. I will bring you up out of the midst of your rivers and all the fish in your rivers will stick to you. One of the things I often say to people, sometimes when you're dealing with a spirit, it's very frustrating in the heat of the moment. But once God brings that breakthrough, guess what happens? Everything else that's connected to it comes down. Everything else, every single fish that's connected to that Leviathan spirit comes down. So sometimes we, you know, and I want to encourage you guys, in the midst of the battle, in the midst of things that you're going through, understand that when God says that's enough, everything is rooted out. Not 99%, not 80%, every single thing is rooted out. And it says, I will bring you up out of the midst of the rivers, and all your fish in your rivers will stick to your scales. It'll stick to your own deception. I will leave you in the wilderness, you and all the fish of your rivers. You shall fall on the open field. You shall not be picked up or gathered. I have given you as food to the beasts of the field and to the birds of heaven. Pharaoh is, in essence, Leviathan. In Ezekiel chapter 29, 30, 31, and 32, it actually dedicates four chapters to talking about Egypt and Pharaoh and how God deals with them. And what's interesting is there's a pile of different little tidbits of information. I'm not going to read all that today, but you can look at it on your own. Ezekiel 29, 30, 31, and 32. And it gives further details about the sins of Egypt and the sins of Pharaoh. And the first thing it mentions, and it repeats it many times, is that the sin of Pharaoh is pride. Hello, confirmation, right? It goes on and it talks about Egypt that puts its trust and its confidence in its wealth, its power, its systems, and its people. Pride. Egypt's, uh, Egyptians worshipped the great monster called Leviathan. How do we know? Well, look at the headdress of Pharaoh. What was on the headdress of Pharaoh? Leviathan. 
That's what he used. Why? Because he was a Leviathan-type spirit that had control. And his mantra was control. That's what it was all about. Egyptians believed that Pharaoh was Leviathan manifested on the earth. That's how they viewed Pharaoh. And Egyptians also believed that they created the waters just because they learned how to control them. So they said, I was the creator. Kind of sounds like Isaiah chapter 14 when Satan himself says, well, I will ascend to the throne of heaven. I will do this. I will. The five I wills of Satan. What did that end up? He got cast out of heaven along with one third of the angels got cast out of heaven. So who in the world was Pharaoh? Thank you for asking. I'm going to answer it. So there's a couple different things I want to land on today so you guys can understand and have a great foundation for who Pharaoh was, what he was uh, all about, and what he did. So the first thing I want you to understand is that the title of Pharaoh was actually the title of the king of Egypt all the way up to 323 BC. After that, they changed the title. But his name literally means, directly translated, great house. Hmm, pride. (laughs) But think about this. What was so significant about a Leviathan spirit in his great house was how much he came against God's house. A great house always came against God's house. How does, how does that play out in our day and age today, in 21st century Canada, 2016? Well, it plays in, in a lot of different ways, but he seeks to destroy the house of God. He seeks to undermine the house of God. He seeks to disconnect people from churches and disconnect relationships. He also seeks to disconnect people through pride and through control and through lies. When we first moved to the city, and some of you have been around a long time, you'll know me, I've said this before, but for those that are fairly new, I want to say it again. When we first moved to the city, I was shocked. I don't like to put a strong word like that on it, but I have to say I was shocked at the amount of people that were disconnected from churches in the city. And I have to say right off the bat, some of the situations that people go through are awful, and I don't blame them whatsoever for feeling like I can never go to a church ever again in my life. I don't blame them. So I'm not talking just about the decision not to be connected but I'm talking about the overarching, unbelievable uh, amount of people that have literally said, I'm never going to go to a church. I'm not going to step foot in a church. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to have church at home. I'm going to blah, 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 blah. And the interesting thing about Kingston is when I've come from the Toronto area, people that are disconnected from church in the Toronto area, please don't take this the wrong way, but are really flaky people. They're like, woohoo, way out there. You know, they're just, they're on cloud 38 somewhere, and we haven't ever seen them come back down from that cloud in years. They're very immature people. Here, there's a lot of very mature people, a lot of mature Christians, a lot of people that have been around a long time that know a lot about God's word. And the one thing I kept coming is, man, there's got to be something here because there's no way that this can have this many people. So there's an underlying issue. There's a greater issue here. And the more that I started to study the spirit, the more I started to realize Pharaoh, great house, always tries to come against God's house. Always. That's his goal. He wants to mess up the house of God. Um, Interestingly enough, Pharaoh's crown actually had that emblem, that that literally Leviathan spirit, that sea serpent that was on the front of it. And what's also interesting is on the the headdress of Pharaoh, it actually came with seven different rubies all around that headdress. What's even further interesting is that when God called Aaron to be the first high priest, he put a breastplate on him. And the one thing that he made sure was in the center of the breastplate to protect his heart was a ruby. It says the enemy can misuse things. The enemy can confuse things. The enemy can twist things. But this is what it really means. A ruby was symbolic of of the blood of Jesus that was covering the heart of every believer that was meant to keep our hearts pure against the ploys of the enemy. Okay? Second thing is this. Pharaoh was a godlike figure to the Egyptians. He literally uh, was, in their mind, the son of Ra, which was the sun god. What's interesting about the sun god is they also believe that they worship the eclipse. The eclipse was this serpent-like spirit. We mentioned it last week, but a serpent-like spirit that would literally gather around the sun and drain all of the light out of it. Well, it talks about a Leviathan spirit that loves to not deal in any truth, but just throws out lies and manipulation and confusion in order to confuse everybody. But what was interesting about Pharaoh, and I'm actually going to speak about church leaders here in a second, so I want you guys to listen up, because the one thing I do not want you to come away from this series is that This is all your problem, and we are perfect. That's the biggest lie I think I've ever heard in my life. Sandra knows that I'm slightly less than perfect. (laughs) She is perfect. (sighs) 
I just want to bask in that moment for a second. That's so nice, honey. The reality is this is we are as imperfect as anybody else. The difference is, is we, because of the responsibility and the, and the track record and the history of decisions we've made, we've proven to ourselves to be people of character and integrity and want to honor God in what we do. But I'm so thankful that, that you know, God can deal with us just as much as he deals with anyone else. So what, what I'm actually going to do with this particular point is I want to address, not you, but church leaders in the city, okay? This whole message series really is for the city. It's not really for us per se, um, but we can follow along with it anyway. Pharaoh was sent by the gods with the divine responsibility to rule, and rule he did. He ruled with an iron fist. He ruled with control. His mantra was control and fear and intimidation in order to keep people in order. Um, but he, was also the, uh, he also functioned as the high priest in the Egyptian spirituality. So not only did he control the legal system, not only did he control the education system, he also controlled the spiritual system of the day. Basically, every single thing went through him. And if he didn't give his approval or his, his seal of blessing, then you were in rebellion. You were out of, the, out of the, the plan of God. And I've seen this so many times. I've often I've said this to people when they've come to me, especially if they've come from different places or different churches, different backgrounds. Some people will come to me and won't be able to make a decision unless I give them uh, permission or approval to do it. And I kind of come back and go, is that really my role? As a shepherd, is it my role to tell you what to do or to give you permission to make every decision? Absolutely not. We're here to shepherd and to guide. But at the end of the day, how many want a 39-year-old still living at home or a 55-year-old still in grade 3 because they haven't gone anywhere with certain things? Right? What I want you to understand this morning is if we have a 17-year-old still sitting in grade 1, we have failed. Right? It's odd. It looks strange to have a six foot two, 248-pound guy sitting next to a little six-year-old girl in a class. Why? Because we have arrested development. <laughs> okay? What I want you to see is that um, when you grow in the things of God and you grow in your spiritual journey, you should really get to a point where you can be big enough to make your own decisions. Now, you may bounce things off of the same way that I would naturally bounce things off of people in my life that I respect and honor. You can bounce them off, but what happens with this feral-like, God-like controlling spirit is that everything has to go through that person. If you don't have permission from that person, then you are out of the, you're in the black books for the rest of your life. If you don't get the signed, sealed approval of the pastor, then you have just messed your whole life up. And I go, where in the Bible is that? It's not there. Okay? It is not there. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself set the tone by saying, I want to be a servant leader. We lay our life down for the sheep. We don't control the sheep. We lay our life down for the sheep. That is the heart of godly leadership, okay? He was also the one that upheld justice. And what was very interesting about Pharaoh in this godlike kind of connection is he, the Egyptians believe this. This is in all the writings that when a Pharaoh died, he also became king of the underworld. And I've seen this in so many different churches, unfortunately, in modern-day Canada and the United States and across the world. I have seen leaders that have used eternity and their eternal salvation as a hook to control people. It is disgusting to me. It's disgusting. Because what they do is they hook you with thinking, well, if you leave this or if you don't do that, if you don't listen to me, if you don't respond to me, then you are, your salvation is at stake here. And I once again go... Where in the world in the Bible is that? But you have to understand when a Leviathan spirit is at work and a Pharaoh-like spirit is at work, their whole goal is to control. They want to control you so that they can uh, literally have dominion over you. Okay? I know it's kind of heavy. Are we good? Okay. The third thing is this. Pharaoh in, in the Bible in Psalm 105 verse 23 and 27, Pharaoh in Egypt in particular actually compared to, uh, to Noah's son, Ham. Not, not the food that we're going to eat later on, but Noah's son, Ham. And it literally says, Israel came into Egypt, and Jacob dwelt in the land of Ham. goes on in verse 27, it says, and, and God performed his signs among them and wonders in the land of Ham. The word of God literally compares Egypt and Pharaoh to this Ham. So who was Ham? I'm going to read his story. Genesis chapter 9, verses 20 to 23. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk. Now, was that right? No, okay, just wanted to clarify. And became uncovered in his tent. So he was drunk as a skunk and naked as a jaybird. Is that right? No. 
Do I recommend this in Canada today? No, I don't. I, I really highly don't recommend that kind of behavior. It's not good. Noah was sinning. So verse 22, and Ham, the father of Canaan, which just so happened to be the place that Israel got to as a promise, that God turned around the old enemies that were in the promised land and made it Israel's. He saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Now, you have to understand that he told his two brothers, well, who was that? That was everyone. So he went on Facebook and told everybody about what his father was doing. The whole world knew at that particular point, because this is just after the flood, so the entire world was his two brothers. Okay? So... Facebook, it was posted everywhere, and they were retweeting things as we went. Retweet, retweet, and it was crazy. Everyone knew. The whole world knew that he was drunk as a skunk and naked as a jaybird, okay? And it says, but Shem and Japheth, the other brothers, took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. Listen to me this morning. A Leviathan spirit, a Pharaoh-type spirit, his whole goal is to expose you for the mistakes that you have legitimately made in your life. But the Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. The heart of a shepherd, the heart of God, the heart of any believer is to cover each other without looking at the sin and the nakedness of our brother or sister as we place that blanket upon them. A pharaoh spirit, a Leviathan spirit, desperately wants to expose your weaknesses so that he can gain an in and a controlling point. How many know that when you know someone's weaknesses, like family, um, they uh, oftentimes will remind you of where you don't measure up? You know, well, Cam, you know, when you were 13, you used to do this to me. Absolutely, I did. Thank the Lord I'm no longer 13 and I no longer do that. I just do it in different ways, right? Same thing, just in a different way, you know? I mean, the reality is, is I love having two brothers. I love my family. I love, you know, so many of us love our families, but how many know that sometimes the hardest people to move forward in life and to kind of convince is those that have known all the weaknesses, right? Because they're going to look at us and say, well, I remember when you were like, right? Sometimes we struggle with that with our friends, those that we grew up with, because you, maybe we run into them on Facebook 10, 15, 20 years after high school, and they start reminding, and we start having these stories, and then I almost think to myself, man, I'm almost kind of embarrassed to say where I've got to in my life because I'm nothing like that person anymore. I'm not like that person at all. But people like to remind us of where we are. What's interesting is the word ham comes from the Hebrew word haman, which literally means high places. Pride. Okay. And it actually refers in a lot of cases uh, to, in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, it refers to times of idol worship. What's idol worship? Worship of self. You're putting yourself above the relationship. How many know that the relationships that you're in always trump you? Why? Because God validates and values relationship, right? That's why certain things are so important. Leviticus 26.30, it says, I will destroy your high places. That's the word Haman. Cut down your incense altars and cast your carcasses on the lifeless forms of your idols. Isaiah 27 verse 1, we don't have it on the screen, but Isaiah 27 verse 1 was one of the verses we read last week that describes the spirit of Leviathan and its work and what it does. And verse 9 of the very same chapter says, Therefore, by this iniquity of Jacob, which means sin, will be covered. It will be covered. It will be covered. It will be covered. Catch the word. It'll be covered. And this is all the fruit of taking away his sin. When he makes all the stones of the altar like chalk stones and are beaten to dust, wooden images, Haman, and incense altars, Haman, shall not stand. High places are going to come down when the enemy is revealed in what he does. Are we tracking okay? So let's land in the story about Pharaoh and Moses and Aaron. And I'm gonna ho- I hope and pray that you guys just have your eyes open to some of the things that Pharaoh does and he'll be doing to you, probably already is, and the things that God is doing on your behalf and what we can do to overcome um, this issue. I just want to give a brief background to the story. How many have ever seen Prince of Egypt? Okay, how many have ever seen the Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston classic? Come on! Yeah, I love those classic movies. Okay, for those that have never seen it, um, shame on you. 
But there's forgiveness. There's forgiveness. Um, it's all good. Here's the background. At the age of two, Moses became a part of Pharaoh's household, Potiphar's household. Um, he literally was a brother to Pharaoh from the book of Exodus. Okay? So they understood each other. Um, if I can say it like this, Pharaoh knew Moses' weaknesses. But Moses knew Pharaoh's weaknesses. They knew each other. They grew up together. They were educated together. They grew up in every context together. So they understood certain things together. Moses himself was educated in Egyptian uh, academics. He was trained in Egyptian religion. He was trained in Egyptian art. He understood all of that. But one of the things that we often forget is that at the age of 40, Moses tried to take justice into his own hands. And how many remember the story? It didn't work out so well. He killed an Egyptian in order to basically help his Israeli brothers, his Jewish brothers. And then as a result, he ran to the backside of the desert for 40 years and went and hid for 40 years on the backside of the desert. And that's where the movie picks up. Charlton Heston walks up the side of the mountain, or I can't even remember whose voice was the guy in Prince of Egypt, but they walk up the side of the mountain, they see a burning bush. And they were absolutely amazed by the fact that this bush was burning but was not being consumed. How in the world is that possible? God literally says, this place that you're standing is holy ground. Take off your sandals because you are about to meet your maker. That'd be pretty scary. I don't know about you. That'd be pretty intimidating. Um, So looking at this story and looking at what happens, how do we overcome and defeat Leviathan? Well, there's seven things I'm going to talk about fairly briefly this morning. uh, And then I'm going to end with kind of a a key thought. First thing is this. Exodus chapter 3 Moses had a divine revelation of who God is. If you want to overcome any kind of spiritual pushback against you in your life, you cannot live off of someone else's faith. You can't, there's no grandparents in the faith or grandkids in the faith. You have to have your own faith. You've got to have your own revelation. You have to have your own understanding of who God is. And you've got to press through to have it. The coolest thing with Moses is, is literally in verse 2 to 3 in chapter 3, he saw the burning bush. It goes on in verse 4, and it literally says God spoke out to Moses. And not only did he speak to Moses, but he called him by name. I don't know about you, but when God calls you, uh, calls you up on his long, AT long, ATT long distance and says, Hey, Cameron, I'm like, whoa, you know my name. That's awesome. He says, yeah, I know you. I know every hair on your head and all the ones that are now missing. <laughs> and I know that you're trying to grow it on your chin to make you feel better, but it doesn't really work. It's called midlife crisis, but I'm here for you. It's okay. Oh, sorry. Did I say that out loud? Oh, sorry. I thought I was at home there for a second. I'm sorry. Um, But verse 4, he calls him by name. Verse 5, he has a revelation of God's holiness. Verse 6, he hears the heart of God, the compassionate heart of God for his own kids. You got to know this morning, God loves you. He has a bleeding heart for you. He is doing everything he can behind the scenes to turn the situation around. He loves you with an everlasting love. He, does never, he never stops interceding for you from the right hand of the Father in heaven. He never stops. He prays all day long just for you. Verse 14, he has a revelation of who God is, his very own identity. He says, well, who do I tell Pharaoh that's, who sent me? He says, I am that I am. What does that mean? He's the all-encompassing God. He can be anything to you in whatever circumstance you need. He is the I am. What do you need? Well, I need this. He'll be that. What do I need? Well, I need that. He'll be that. He is the I am. Okay? We need to know who God is. Divine revelation of who God is is so important at overcoming any demonic pushback. Most importantly, the spirit of Leviathan. Number two, understand your covenant with God. Understand that prior to dealing with the spirit of Leviathan, you need to be in covenant with God before it, during it, and after it. Because if you are not, the enemy will expose your weaknesses in such a way that you'll just feel like you just got run over by an 18-wheeler truck. What happened? On the way to meet Pharaoh, what happened? Well, in Exodus chapter 4, uh, I believe, I think I have on the screen, Exodus chapter 4, verse 24 to 26. The Bible literally says that God was looking out to deal with Moses. 
And how many know that whenever God tries to deal with the man, he always deals with the woman first? You know what I'm saying? Okay. It's amazing how God's voice sounds like your wife. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I've learned. I've learned from my own experience. It's like, God, can you speak to me? And it's like, wow, that sounded like Sandra. I had never heard that. I didn't know. You know, I know the shack was trying to, you know, trying to give off this idea that God was a female. But that was all messed up. But I'm like, no, you know, maybe, maybe he is. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not getting at any heresy there. But I want you to know today that God will speak to you and to confirm covenant. The very first thing that Moses had to do on his way to meet with Pharaoh is God said, circumcise your son. Because that's about covenant, a blood covenant with me. Now, we would hear that and go, uh, no thanks. All us men who are of age would definitely say, no thanks, right? Okay? Yes, you're hearing the word circumcision in church. Go tweet it right now. Tweet it, okay? Um, but God had to hear us. God had to see, Moses, are you going to be about you or are you going to be about me? Are you going to go in your authority or are you going to go in mine? Are you going to go in your wisdom and understanding and power and insight and creativity or are you going to go in mine? Moses had to make a declaration. No, God, I want to go in yours. So from that very first moment, he says, okay, I'm going to circumcise my son. I'm going to get in covenant with God. I'm going to make sure my whole family is in covenant with God before I do anything else. What's interesting, you fast forward to Exodus chapter 12, and at the end of the battle, what does God do? Shedding of blood again, the Passover lamb. Listen, Leviathan will always be dealt with if you start with covenant and you end with covenant and you go with covenant all through it. Leviathan has no chance because he cannot mess up a blood covenant. He has no chance. So keep hope alive this morning. The third thing is this. God will always give you an Aaron. He will always give you an Aaron. Did you know that the word Aaron, the name Aaron, actually means to bring light? Can I put this into a modern-day vernacular? To bring truth. Aaron always brings truth. What's interesting is not only was Aaron bringing truth and helping Moses, but Aaron was in every single uh, conversation that Moses ever had with Pharaoh. He was always with them. They were side by side, two by two. I have news for you today. God is bringing you an Aaron. If you're in the midst of a battle, God is bringing you an Aaron. Don't miss out who it is. But invite them into the equation. Invite them into the discussion. Because the quicker you have an Aaron, the quicker yourself is going to be protected. Because how many know that the enemy loves to twist things? Get your Aaron. And get him on board, okay? Not only will this person speak for you, but they'll speak, uh, 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 in a sense, to vouch for you, and they'll also defend you, okay? This is a person that will always battle with you for the truth, not for their own rights or their own desires or their own way, but they're going to vouch for and fight for the truth in every single situation. Number four, be an ambassador of God's word. Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. Moses comes before Pharaoh for the first time. And guess what he says? He says, word for word, almost verbatim, the exact same thing God told him to say in Exodus chapter 3. Word for word. The next seven times he has a conversation with Pharaoh, guess what he says? Word for word, what God told him to say to Pharaoh the next time. He didn't say what he thought. Everything about our life right now, and I want you to understand, if you're dealing with this type of spirit, you're going to have two choices in every circumstance and every situation. You can be an ambassador for God's word, or you can be a defender of your own position and opinion. You choose. If you choose to defend your own position and your own opinion, then guess what? You're on your own. But if you continuously say God's word about the situation, I guarantee you, He's just hammering the rock. There we go. Now all the fish connected to Leviathan out of the water, onto the wilderness, you're done. So you've got to hold on to the fact that God spoke. You just need to repeat it. One of the most annoying things that I ever do with most people, and they say, Cameron, you're so annoying. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'd say something different, but that's the word of God. So I can say something different, or I could make you feel better. Or I could just keep saying the word of God over and over and over again. Well, the word says, and the word says, so hold on. 
Because I'll tell you right now, the word of God, it prophesies that Jeremiah and in Ezekiel, it prophesies that no word of the Lord will, will come back void. Isaiah chapter 50 as well. The word of the Lord will not come back void. It will not fall to the ground, Jeremiah chapter 1. It won't fall to the ground. It will accomplish the very thing that it was sent to accomplish. So trust that the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord over your life is far more powerful than Leviathan could ever do to twist the truth of your life. Far more powerful. But everything about our life, we either come under and give into the defense mechanisms that we have in our human tendencies. We all have them. I have them too. Okay? Anyone makes a comment about the Leafs, I get my back up. <laughs> strategy. We're getting the first overall draft pick. Jesus, that's why we lost every game. That's it. That's why. It was strategy. But I want you to see in this particular chapter exactly what Leviathan will do to get you off of the word of the Lord. Watch this. Exodus chapter 5, verse 2. Pharaoh's first response, instead of saying, I'm not going to do that for you, you know what his first response is? I don't know the Lord. I'm sitting there going, you've had the nation of Israel in your back door for the last hundreds, 430 years, and you're telling me you've never heard about them in 430 years? Are you telling me that you've got no knowledge of the guy called God? Nothing. So what does he do? He takes the... He takes the conversation off to something completely unrelated and different in order to get your, eye, your mind and your eyes off onto something different. So you start tripping up over other things. What happens when you say, I don't know the Lord? What do you, what's the first reaction as a human being? Well, I'm going to defend God to you then. But that's not what God said. God said, just go tell him. Let my people go into the wilderness three days to worship me. That's all I'm going to say. So what did he say? Let my people go so we can go worship in the wilderness for three days. Verse 4, Moses, why do you take your people from your work? Well, he wasn't. Moses wasn't taking the people from their work. But why did he say that? He's trying to get Moses to defend himself rather than stay with God's word. He didn't give in. Verse 5, you make them rest from their labor. Verse 8, you are making them idle. Verse 17, you are causing us to lose out. You are making them lazy people. I didn't do that. I didn't say that. What are you talking about? I don't even know what you're talking about. This is what Leviathan does. He will say everything with the entire intention to get you to defend something else. To defend another position. To defend another thought. To defend another idea. Well, how dare you talk to me like that? How dare you question my character and my integrity? And then I keep coming back and saying, it's Leviathan. That's what he does. Sin or sin. Right? So we have to come back to this idea that the only thing we got to do is to defend and to declare and be an ambassador for the Word of God. An ambassador in the United States that represents Prime Minister Trudeau, when a, a statement is made, the ambassador in the United States only declares what Prime Minister Trudeau declared. He doesn't share his own thoughts or opinions on it because he would no longer be an ambassador. He would be booted out of that position quicker than you can say your own name. An ambassador is simply somebody who speaks on behalf of another. You are not speaking on behalf of yourself. You are speaking on behalf of another. And he is very good at defending you. Okay? Well, he didn't stop there. He wanted one more dig. So he did, he, he did it with one more dig. Verse 12. He says, look what you've done, Moses. You've scattered the people all over. Who actually scattered the people all over? Pharaoh. Pharaoh was putting on Moses what he did himself. How many have ever seen that happen in a conversation? Where they're actually getting back at you and describing to you about you what they actually do themselves. Right? This is all he does. But here's what's interesting. Seven times there was a confrontation between Moses, Aaron. I shouldn't even say confrontation because Moses didn't confront. But seven times there was a conversation between Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh. Seven times he said, let my people go so that we can go worship God in the wilderness. Seven times he responded to the seven heads of Leviathan in seven conversations with the same response over and over and over again. How many have ever seen someone give you the truth they keep saying it over and over again and it drives you nuts? Right? Because you think, you know, come on, it's a new day. Can you come up with something better than that? Nope. They just keep coming back to the same thing. Five. God will not might, God will work miracles on your behalf. 
He will work miracles on your behalf. Exodus chapter 7, verses 8 to 13. Many of us know the story, especially if you've seen the movie where uh, literally Aaron puts his rod down, it turns into a serpent, a snake. Kind of like Leviathan, to show them up. I like it. I like how God works. You know, just shows them up. And it literally says in Exodus chapter 7 that the magicians put their rods down. So I know in the movie they always show two, but it says the magicians, plural, put their rods down, plural. There could have been 10, 12, 15 rods. No one knows. So there could have been multiple snakes that come down. And Aaron's snake eats all of them. He picks it up by the tail and it turns into a rod again. Right? What's interesting here is is the rod in, in God's economy always represents God's correction, but also God's guidance and direction. So what's interesting is Leviathan spirit always wants to mess up with your direction and your protection, but God is always going to take them th- those things down on your behalf. Exodus 7.15, he goes on and it says the very rod that he used to, d- to literally eat all of the other serpents and all the other rods, he used to put in the Nile River. And what happened to the Nile River? The most sacred thing on the planet. Why? Because Pharaoh was a Leviathan-like, God-like figure. And where did they get all their power from? The water. Why? Because they thought they could control the water. Why? Because the water was sacred. What was the most sacred thing to an Egyptian? The Nile. Anyone else that doesn't believe it was in denial. All right. All right. Okay. I got problems. All right. (laughs) Leviathan came from the waters. So what did God contaminate? The waters. Why did he contaminate Leviathan's waters? So that it would bring him up from the surface so that all could see him. Now a crocodile cannot stay in blood, right? They can't stay there. So when he turned the Nile River red as blood, and he turned it to blood, literally every single sea serpent, every single crocodile was scurrying out of that water. Why? Because they couldn't live in there. I have news for you right now that if you stay to being an ambassador of the word of the Lord, God himself will contaminate the waters in which Leviathan lives in and mess him up so bad He won't even know what hit him. Exodus chapter 8, verses 16 and 19, it actually says that all of Pharaoh's servants and magicians and and leading rulers came to him and basically said, we we can't turn any of this stuff. We can't do what they're doing anymore. This is the third time that they had one of the plagues and and the first two times they could actually replicate it. They could do a counterfeit of what the enemy or what God had done. This time they couldn't. And you know what their only response was? They came to Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, what they did was from the finger of God. So you better listen because we don't know what happens. As soon as the waters turn red and it contaminates the very thing that Leviathan lives in, then, then what happens supernaturally right after it is the very same people that supported that Leviathan spirit start turning against them. It's all step by step, line upon line, but it's going to happen. And that's what's happening over the city right now, in Jesus' name. Sixth thing is this, don't compromise what God has said. Exodus chapter 25, verses 32, um, it actually has so much stuff here. um, But one of the greatest tricks that the enemy then tries to do is he actually allows you to do part of what you're asking, but without doing all of what you're asking. So Pharaoh comes back, this is the, after the seventh time, seventh plague, Pharaoh comes back and says, okay, 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 I'll let you go worship God, but you have to do it here in Egypt. What happens if they stayed in Egypt? They'd still be under his, under his dominion, under his control. They wouldn't do, they couldn't do what they truly wanted to do. So if they actually wanted to worship God in the way that they felt called to, they couldn't do it. Because it wouldn't fit under the the submission or the subjection of the laws of the land. Why did God ask them to say, we need to go three days into the wilderness? Why? Because then they would be under God's rule and reign, not under Pharaoh's. So he gives them a hook and says, yeah, yeah, you can go worship God now, but you have to do it here. It's like, "Uh uh-oh. And some of us would look at that and go, okay, yeah, progress. Woohoo! And God is saying, no, don't compromise. Don't compromise what I've told you to do. Do not compromise what I've told you to do. 
And at the end of that little passage, Moses, the very first time, Moses actually gets a little bit of gumption, and he literally comes to him and says, you shall no longer deceive me or the people of God again. It took him about five chapters to get there. But what's so amazing is he just kept standing in his authority. He didn't argue. He didn't yell. He didn't defend. He just stood in his position of authority. And the last thing is this. Don't be intimidated. Exodus chapter 10, verse 28 to 29, it says, Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. Well, intimidate. If you ever... Show your head here. I'm going to embarrass you so bad. I'm going to talk. I'm going to post everything I know about you on Facebook. I'm going to do the blah, 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 blah. So Moses said in verse 29, you've spoken well. You have spoken well, Pharaoh. I will never see your face again. And what's interesting is he didn't say he was going to do anything about it. He just said, yeah, I agree, because God told me yesterday that that's what you were going to say. And I'm just telling you, I agree with what God just said. I will never see you again. Hmm. Dealing with Leviathan is never about fighting back. It's about standing your ground. It's never fighting. It's standing. God wants to teach you how to stand. Remember our first opening verse, and I'm coming into a close here. Psalm 74, verses 12 to 14. It says, For God is my king from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your strength. You broke the heads of the sea serpents in the waters. You broke the heads of Leviathan in pieces and gave him as food to the people inhabiting the wilderness. Most Bible scholars agree that this monster, this Leviathan spirit, is a seven-headed monster. What's interesting about this concept is in Revelation chapter 12, verse 3, which we actually referenced last week. So if you want to hear a little bit more thoughts about that, you can hear last week. But it says this, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. Well, which... Which uh, ruler of the, of the ancient world had seven ruby diadems on his headdress? Pharaoh, hello. Okay. So what in the world were the seven heads of Leviathan? Thank you for asking. Thank you for asking. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19, are the seven heads of Leviathan. These seven are exactly what he does to mess you up. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Verse 17, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Can I put another kind of modern day disclaimer on that? A person that destroys the reputation of others. Okay? A heart that that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among people. That's the seven things that he operates under. But the coolest thing is, is God has already counteracted this. He already won. He already defeated it. Now he's given us the, to- the tools and the-, and the keys to do that. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 4, there's a very interesting verse, and I actually didn't even realize that this actual phrase was actually repeated four different times in the book of Revelation. One of the scariest books in the Bible, and most people still don't know how to interpret it. But one of these days, I'll tackle a series on Revelation. One of these days, I'll tackle it. And I'm going to start by this. You know, at the end of the day, really bad things are going to happen. But God's going to spare us. The end. Okay, here we go. All right. There we go. That was my short little uh, OCD version of... um, ADHD version, all those other versions of it. You know, the small songs by Tim Hawkins, I love that one. But it says this, grace to you and peace from him who was and who, wa- uh, who is and who is to come. Who is he talking about? Jesus. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. The seven spirits who are before the throne of Jesus. So what are the seven spirits before the throne of Jesus. Revelation chapter 5 verse 6 says, And I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. The seven spirits of God are personified in Jesus Christ. The rule and the reign of Christ is what is personified by these seven spirits. 
Well, it's interesting. There's actually a verse in the Bible that talks about the sevenfold spirit of God that rested upon Jesus when he was on the earth. And here's how we overcome it. Isaiah chapter 1, uh, chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. There shall come forth a rod. What did Aaron and Moses have? What did it represent? The authority of Christ, right? Discipline, uh, correction, guidance, direction. There was a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow from its roots. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. Seven things that counteract the spirit of Leviathan. The spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. I don't know about you, but when you're in the midst of confusion, counsel's good, right? Right? When you're in the midst of not understanding which way is up and which way is down, having a little bit of the understanding from the spirit of God is pretty, pretty good, Right? How many know that when you walk in the fear of the Lord, you will absolutely do everything in your power to obey the voice of the Lord? Because you fear God more than you fear man, right? What's interesting about Isaiah chapter 11, most Bibles will do this. They'll actually cross-reference Revelation chapter 4, verse 5. The seven spirits of God. I have news for you today. Jesus already won. The battle's already won. It doesn't matter what a feral type spirit does. It doesn't matter what a Leviathan type spirit does. It doesn't matter what he tries to come up with. At the end of the day, he's already won. What we've got to do is stand and take our position and take the place that God's given us because he's already guaranteed the victory. The only way you can mess it up is if you make a decision to handle it yourself. And I have news for you today. You won't do a very good job how do I know that? Because I've done it myself. I failed miserably trying to handle things myself. I didn't get anywhere in life trying to handle things myself. And when I've done it God's way, it's amazing how things just supernaturally fall into place. I have news for you right now. God is hammering on that rock called Leviathan, and he's about ready to split open. He will expose those things and unmask those things that have been working against you for years he will expose it because God loves you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com. 